Okay, I lied. I said in the last episode of this podcast, Wagamon Dante, that we're moving on to Purgatorio Canto 5. No, I decided another episode on Balacqua. Why? Because I brought up this question of whether Balacqua is indeed an ironic, a comedic, or parodic figure. And I said that there are some critics who see Balacqua not in any of these modern, dare we say it even, postmodern ways. And so, let's give it its due. This will be an episode in which we're going to look back through Balakwa's speech, and I'm going to talk to you about how, in fact, he might not be an ironic, parodic, or comedic character. Obviously, you know I think he's a bit of a parody of the contemplative life as we head toward the poem that begins to celebrate more and more the contemplative life as the way to God. Nonetheless, I thought it was important for us to stop and look at Balakwa's speeches and interpret them in another way. This way, we can open our minds to more interpretations than the narrow channel I might be trying to cut. Let's have at it. I'm not going to read Balakwa's speech again. Instead, I'm just going to go through his various moments when he talks directly to Dante the Pilgrim. And the first one is that force moment, that perhaps moment, the famed bit. Perhaps you'll feel the need to sit down before then. Perhaps you need to take a rest stop on your way up the mountain before you ever hit the top of it. This medieval Italian bit, force, I told you was in the rhyme position. It's emphasized. Okay, fair enough. And that is one way to see it as perhaps ironic, very much emphasizing the force. But if we look at the words that force is rhymed with, they don't seem to indicate any natural parodic or comedic intent. Force is the first of the three rhymes. Remember the Terzarima structure, three rhymes, and it falls in the middle line of three. And then in the next stanza, the first and third line rhyme with force. The first line ends with ciascun di noi si torse. That is, both of us turned around, each one of us turned around. So they hear this voice, say, perhaps you're going to have to sit down before you get to the top. And both of them, Virgil and Dante, turn around. Si torse is not a parodic rhyme with force. And then it goes on. They notice the boulder. It's sitting there, and there's other guys in the shade, and they had never seen the boulder before. And so the third line of the next stanza ends, Ne io ne e prima secorse. Neither I nor he had first noticed it, this giant boulder that shades these negligent souls. Again, Sacorse, si torse, force. It's not a well developed parodic rhyme, and we might expect more of a hint. Perhaps Balakwa's statement, maybe you're going to have to sit down before you get to the top, is just a statement of fact. There's nothing in the rhyme that leads us to take this parodically and Elsewhere in the poem, when we should see a parodic intent, often the rhyme points us to it. Okay, moving on to Balakwa's next speech. He says, Orva tu su, que se valente. You go on up now if you're so valiant, if you have such machismo, if you have such bravado. Maybe this is valid. After all, we've just come off Manfred, 
the great hero, Manfred. And then we get this word, valente, this, this very valiant, chivalric word. Maybe it's calling us back. You know, if you've got enough courage, go on up. Does it take courage to climb Mount Purgatory? Yes, it does. So is Balakwa then realizing his uh, lowly status on the mountain, that he is not very courageous on the mountain as he is not very courageous in his own life? Perhaps this is a statement more of confession. I'm one of those who waited until the end. I didn't have any courage to join the church, to make my confession, to make my repentance to the end. I led a rather, shall we say, worm-like life, certainly not like Manfred. So if you've got courage, go on up this mountain. I clearly don't have it. We don't have to interpret this as a smack at Dante. It could be Balakwa's own lowly confession status. He then goes on to give that famous line, have you noticed how the sun drives his chariot to your left, which I interpreted as saying, listen, he's heard their whole speech. He then pokes at the pilgrim clearly with his first, perhaps you need to sit down. But in fact, he's heard all of their disquisition about the sun's position. Maybe Balak was just a tour guide. Seriously, maybe he knows that Dante is newly arrived here. Balak was one of these people that sit around, I don't know, the Vatican and say, well, where do you see the next room? Where do you see the big monument ahead? Or, you, you know what I mean. He's somebody who just can't wait to tell you what's next. I mean, seriously, maybe it's not parodic. Maybe it is, in fact, uh, informational to say, okay, you're newly arrived here. So have you noticed that we're on the other side of the globe? Have you noticed how this all works? It doesn't have to be a parodic statement. Have you noticed how the sun drives his chariot to your left or on your left-hand side? It can be a statement of just, are you noticing where you are, newcomer to purgatory? I don't think it's that. I do think it's a parodic statement indicating that he's heard their entire disquisition on the sun's position, but that's an interpretive decision on my part. And the phrase in the medieval Florentine doesn't necessarily lend itself to a parodic intent. Then we talked about how he calls Dante brother, O frate. I said that this is dripping with irony, oh brother, you know, come sit and take a siesta with us in the shade. And I suppose I'm seeing it in this very postmodern Samuel Beckett way. But after all, Christians are brothers. This has been the truth since St. Paul calling the faithful brothers and sisters. Perhaps this is the first time that in fact someone has called Dante a brother. And this happens, this o frate, the first time that there's a kind of fraternal Christianity going on, right after Dante smiles. Don't forget that Dante smiles at Balacqua. If Balacqua is a comedic figure, then Dante may not smile. He may be irritated. If Balacqua is trying to nudge the pilgrim in some way, or try to jest with him in some way, might the pilgrim not be irritated and not smile? I take that smile to mean that Dante's like, oh, this joker. (laughs) I know this joker from back in life. But maybe it's not. 
It is just a smile, and it is right after that that Balakwa calls the pilgrim brother, which is a Christian term of endearment. In fact, the full phrase is O frate ander in su que porta. Oh, brother, to go on up to that gate, to go on up ahead to that gate. And of course, I translated this, if you remember, as, oh, brother, why should I bother going up to that gate? Well, you realize that why should I bother, bother, is my interpretive act in the passage. The line is just andar in su que porta. To go up to that gate? Why? You know, like, why? Well, what's the point of that? To go on up there? I can't. And in fact, it's the truth. He can't. He is held back. Now, I said in the last episode that he could climb on up toward the gate. And that is true. He's sitting here in the shade under this boulder, and he could continue on until he's then blocked by the gate. But we do know that, in fact, he can't get through that gate until he spends as many years in this exurb of purgatory as he spent unrepentant in life. So is it actually a statement of ennui, of boredom. Oh, why should I even bother with that climb to get to that gate? Or is it just a statement of fact? I made a big deal about martyri, my martyrdom. I'm going to go on up to my martyrdom. And I said, you know, it's a loaded word to use for the purgations of purgatory. But maybe and this is a positive spin, maybe Balak was onto something. The founding myth of the church is martyrdom. <laughs> myth is, I'm going to back up. When I say myth, I mean story, legend. I don't mean to say that the martyrs were fake or made up, although maybe some of them were, but that's not what I mean. I mean myth as in foundational story, like in the United States, George Washington with the cherry tree. Uh, George Washington giving his troops the smallpox vaccine. George Washington refusing further terms as president because he didn't think that anyone should hold the office that long. Those are those kind of founding myths, some of them true, some of them not. So let's go back. Martyrdom is definitely the founding mythology of the church, along with, of course, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe there's a way in which the torments of purgatory link you to the beginning of the church. If that is indeed the foundational myth of the church, maybe there is a way that Dante is signaling to us that those purgating their sins are not only purging themselves of what they did wrong, as we will see in the ledges of Mount Purgatory ahead, but that they are being linked then to that very basic entrance gate of the church martyrdom, which was mm, essentially its founding mythology. How do you know your faith is true? You're willing to be martyred for it. And thus, what happens on purgatory is you're kind of put into a category with the early martyrs, thus linking the church into a unity. Maybe it's not as nefarious as I made it. Balakwa says he put off his size until the end, but what he says is I buon sospiri, my good size. There is the word good there. And that 
good can, in fact, in purgatory, not be sarcastic. It could be real. These are his legitimate, good, well-intentioned size. Good, as in God, good. So perhaps the size at the end he's admitting are the one good thing he did in his life. Not, as I interpreted it, he could barely work up the effort to sigh at the end. He can't even offer a prayer. But he's saying, I did do one thing. And even though it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing, sighing, it still is born. It still is good. That is, it's connected to God. And then that last bit, when he says, you know, what good's in a prayer in heaven if it can't be heard there? And Virgil seems to get irritated and say, come on, let's go, let's go. That's the truth. As I said to you at the end, Virgil's irritation is predicated on the realization that, in fact, prayers that can't be heard in heaven are no good. And Beatrice's praises ultimately of Virgil are no good. So there is a way that Balakwa states the truth. The prayers of the evil, the prayers of the non-Christians can't do the redeemed in the afterlife any good. It can't help them get up Mount Purgatory any faster. It's no good if the prayers don't come from the right place. And that is theologically correct to the doctrine of purgatory. So we have come to the end of Balakwa's speeches, and we can see that we can twist them all toward the positive. I realize in doing this, I am running against Samuel Beckett. I am running against myself, because I don't see it this way. I'm running against the dominant strain of tradition right now. But it's important for you and me to step back and say, hey, Interpretation can be turned one way or another in order to make passages mean what we want them to mean. And in fact, we all exist through the films, rubrics, and lenses of interpretation inside another text. Do I see Balakwa as a parodic figure? Of course. Do I realize that his speeches are capable of being interpreted in other ways in which he recognizes his sin, negligence, in which he then states the truth about purgatory, and in which he then confesses to not being a very valiant soul. Yes, I see it. I don't still buy it, but I see it, and I realize that the interpretive game is far more complex than I may let on occasionally. Sorry, I try to open up all the doors, but (laughs) There's some of them that escape me, and I wanted here to open this door so that Balakwa becomes an even more complicated figure in Purgatorio. Hardly another figure. Well, okay, Marco of Lombardy ahead, but hardly another figure. (laughs) Oh, well, a couple poets ahead up in lost. Okay, hardly another. Picture in Purgatorio attracts so much commentary as Balakwa, and I felt it really important for us to come back and just sit with him a minute and listen to him, not as snark, but perhaps as a truth teller and a confessor of his own sins to the Pilgrim Dante, and ultimately someone who does goad Virgil on out of sheer irritation. Subscribe to this podcast, rate it, like it, do all those things you have to do to support it. That would be great. I very much appreciate it. I hope that you come back next time because now I promise the next episode will be on Decanto 5 of Purgatorio. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you then.